0: this is now where we're getting a little bit of razzle dazzle. And for me personally, this is actually, this is where I would, got interested in credit cards. So the card specifically that I was interested in at this level was the Chase Sapphire Preferred. At the time, this was 2015-16, this was like the travel card. You were going to earn, I think it was like two points per hour spent on travel. It was like, it was what everyone ended up getting after they graduated college, after they had the be Card. So in this category, I would say now, squarely, we are now looking at travel cards. These cards are going to start earning you points, currencies that allow you to then transfer, whether to a hotel partner or a flight partner. Typically, you're definitely going to be earning higher percentages. I'm thinking of cards like the American Express Gold, where you can earn X on dining, X on groceries. A lot of these cards, most of these cards should have no foreign transaction fees as well. And now is where we're going to also introduce an annual fee.
1: Hey there, points people. You just heard a clip from John Liang from John's Finance Tips. John is a prominent figure in personal finance and shares valuable insights on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok to more than 2.2 million followers. As a real estate investor and points millionaire, he covers diverse financial topics. In this episode, John and I discuss the credit card ladder and how to pick what card to add to your wallet next, whether you're just getting started with building your credit or, you're ready to dive deeper into the world of luxury travel by using points. One of the many cards we discuss in this episode is the Chase Sapphire Preferred card. The Chase Sapphire Preferred is one of the most popular credit cards for those looking to get further into points and miles. Remember, if you decide to apply for the Chase Sapphire Preferred or any other card, never apply directly through Google. Always use a friend or creator's referral link. And if you're interested in supporting this show when you apply for your next card, check out GeoBreezeTravel.com slash cards. And if you're not sure what card is right for you, we offer free credit card consultations at GeoBreezeTravel.com slash consultations. And we have links to the Chase Sapphire Preferred and the free consultation form for you in the show notes as well. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast, a show for anyone wanting to level up their travel hacking lifestyle. I'm your host, Julia Menez. I'm a travel hacker, coach, speaker, Filipina-American ENTJ who loves solid travel gear and using shortcuts on spreadsheets. On this show, I'm on a mission to bring you travel hackers from all walks of life to help you level up your travel hacking game. We dive into credit cards, miles, points, strategy, mindset, and the secrets behind how to travel the world for next to no cost. So let's get hacking. The first time you look at the price for a luxury business class flight, it can be overwhelming. You're seeing tickets over $10,000 or costing hundreds of thousands of points. If that is what you're seeing, don't book those flights. There is a better way to find great flight deals with points. The PointMe self-service tool is a real-time search engine that makes it easy to find and compare flights with more than 30 different airline programs. Or if you'd like some more personalized help, PointMe Concierge allows you to interact one-on-one with an award booking specialist to put your dream trip together. The concierges can even help you with earning and maintaining a lead status so you can get even more perks on your next trip. The Point Me team has some of the best points and miles brains behind it with decades of experience across the team. Check out Point Me by going to geobreezetravel.com Point Me and get your first three searches free. Again, that's geobreezetravel.com Point Me, P O I N T M E. Hey, John. Welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast.
0: Hey, Julia. It's great to be here. Super excited for the conversation today.
1: I'm super excited to have you here and to talk about the credit card ladder, which a lot of people who we talk to oftentimes start right in the middle, but sometimes we do have listeners who are like, hey, if I am nowhere near the 720 credit score or whatever is usually required to get something like a Chase Sapphire Preferred, like, what do i even do and there are beginner levels even before where we throw most people right into the mid-tier so excited to talk about that today and how to go from if you have made credit mistakes in the past how do you salvage that to get to where you can do a lot of the cool travel tricks that we talk about on the podcast all the way up to these super ultra premium luxury credit cards that some of us are not invited to like me (laughs) So we'll talk about that. But before we jump into all of that, tell us a little bit about you and how did you get into the game of points and miles?
0: Yeah, how did I get into the game of points and miles? It feels like I've been in it forever, but I guess we all start somewhere. So for me, it was all the way back in college. It was back in college where I discovered the powers of 0% APR cards. So when I was in college, I didn't work a lot during the college semesters and I would work during the summertime. But obviously going through college, you want to spend money. You want to go out with friends. And so, man, I was like, scratch, man, I was like, all right, well, most of my money comes in, in the four, four months of summer break and not a lot the rest of the year. And so I actually stumbled across this whole idea of, oh, well, if you get these credit cards with introductory promotions that have no interest, you can theoretically, well, actually not theoretically, you could actually just hold a balance. And then as long as you pay everything off before the promotional period ends, you're good to go. And so I did this for two years in college, over two summers, my junior and senior year. And that's how I got interested more broadly into the credit card world. I was like, wow, like. As long as I'm smart with this, right. I I make sure I pay everything off before the promotional period ends. I don't actually accrue any interest. I make minimum payments. Obviously I'm I'm still making payments. I can quote unquote fund this lifestyle. Now it wasn't a lifestyle of going into debt. It was quite literally just going to bars here and there. But again, because all of my cash was (laughs) consolidated in the summer months, this helped me quote unquote get through college, going out with friends. From there after graduating, my now fiance, then girlfriend at the time we actually were doing a long distance relationship between Boston and Sydney, Australia. And if you know anything about Boston, Sydney, Australia, they are quite literally on the opposite sides of the globe. And one thing I realized quickly was, well, I'm recently graduated, I'm working my first job, but if we're gonna see each other two, three, four times a year, that's gonna be expensive. And it was. Even with economy class, cash tickets, and the travel we were doing, it was like $700, $1,000 just at minimum to fly. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna make this work. I got to figure something out. And that's really when I started stumbling across the whole world of, oh, credit card points. And not only can I use these things as free borrowed money, but I can also actually take these points and redeem them for travel. And now I don't have to spend cash. And so that really spurred my interest, right? It was more so out of a need of, okay, I got to figure this thing out so that our relationship works. And I'm glad I did because obviously I ended up putting a ring on it and now live lives in Boston, but that's the start for me, right? It is. Stumbling across it and then out of a need. And now it's become a lot more, I would say, of a hobby, right? Going around, doing the business class, first class travel, all that stuff. But at the very beginning, at least, yeah, it was definitely not my intent to jump all in on all these crazy, fancy travel
1: hacks. How did you eventually become a full-time content creator? For this. this isn't what any of us went to school to do. Nobody, I don't think, around our age was like, I'm going to major in becoming a YouTuber or becoming an Instagram person or becoming a podcaster. That is not the field you originally went into. What was your career progression from college to what you're doing now? Because you do this full time.
0: Yeah, it's it's exactly right. Growing up, it's there is no way that I could have imagined in middle school or high school or even college. I go up to my parents and say, "Hey, mom and dad, I want to be a content creator. I want to make YouTube videos." They probably would have looked at me funny and just told me to get back to study. So for me, so I did my undergrad at at UConn. I double majored in bio and psych. I then went to pharmacy school. And then in pharmacy school, I realized that I didn't want to be a pharmacist. And that's a tough realization, especially coming from an immigrant background where my parents have felt, Hey, our son's made it. He's in pharmacy school. He's going to be a pharmacist. This is great. He's got the job, the prestige. And then for me to go, actually, actually, mom, dad, I don't want to do that. Luckily, I landed somewhat adjacent to that field. I ended up jumping into pharmaceutical sales. That was a fun career. Did that for two years. Then in those two years, I realized, well, I'm in pharma sales. But there's like a ceiling to the earnings potential in pharmaceutical sales. And I was like, well, I want to sell, I want uncapped commissions. And so I ended up finding myself in tech sales after two years in pharma jumped into tech sales and I was there for about five years or so. And I thought, Hey, this is it. This is it for me. I'm going to work in tech sales, sell a bunch of software, buy a bunch of real estate and kind of the whole fire movement, retire early. I'm financially independent, but life works in a funny way. In the period that I was in tech sales, I stumbled across this whole content creating slash influencing slash YouTube hobby slash path and how I came across it. And it wasn't even necessarily me. It was January of 2021. We got together with some friends, myself, Viv, and then two other couples. It was right after COVID. And we rented a a cabin up in New Hampshire. And I remember my friend Maggie, she she suggested, hey, guys, we haven't seen each other in a while. We're just coming out of COVID. Like, why don't we go around and set some group goals this year and hold each other accountable? And I remember at the time, I was like, this is... I don't know if I'm about this. I don't know how how all these New Year's resolutions things work, right? Because everyone has resolutions and you almost never keep them. But I'm like, well, I'm not going to be the odd person out, right? So it was really cool. So everybody went around in a circle and just, we all had our various different fitness goals, work goals, hobby goals, side hustle goals, all of them, right? And everyone had some in each category. And one goal that I had, I was like, I'm interested to give this YouTube thing a shot. I know, I feel like I know a decent amount on credit cards and points. And so my commitment in January, 2021 was to make one YouTube video a week. That was it. There was no other bigger goal. It was like, I'm just going to say, I'm going to do the goal and see where it goes. Fast forward five, six months later, we met, met up with the same group again. And this time we were out in San Diego, We're around San Diego. And it was really cool. People came in. We had like kind of a mid-year recap, if you will. And some people, you know, they got their promotions. Some people were on the path to buying their first house. And I came in and said, Hey guys, I did what I said I was going to do. I was going to make one YouTube video a week. I've gotten absolutely nowhere. This is extremely frustrating. And again, not me, my friends, they said, well, hey, why don't you try like TikTok? And I was like, yes, come on. I'm not, I'm not hitting the renegade. That's not what I do. They're like, no, no, no. You don't have to do that. Just come. You can just speak. And at the time, they had pointed me to this, this one TikToker, Humphrey, Humphrey Yang. He's like, listen, you just do what he does. He just talks on camera. I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can give that a shot. And to make a very long story short, started making content on TikTok. That took off in October of 2021 to November of 2021, really started taking off. And then by September of 2022, I was full-time doing content both on on short form, as well as on on long-form YouTube as well. So again, I guess similar to how I got started in credit cards, how I got started in content creation was not really of my own desires. It was more of, again, external factors, right? Being the right place, right time right group of friends motivating me, but I'm extremely lucky that they did because now here I am talking about things I will not talk about every single day.
1: Yeah. The environment that you put yourself in can really make such a huge difference with where you end up in life. So speaking of external circumstances, if somebody is just like, well, John, I did some of those zero APR cards, didn't pay it off during the promotional period. I got to the summer job and was like, I racked up too much during the school year to pay this off. Or if you're not a college student and you're just like, life happened, inflation happened, and my credit score is shot, is there any hope for me to do this kind of travel game if I am nowhere near the credit score required to get the most popular starter card, the Chase Sapphire Preferred? What does somebody do if they're just like at the low, low point of credit? How do they even begin to dig themselves out and get started with this with credit cards?
0: That's a great question. So how I see it is if you're in a situation where, Hey, listen, I've got a little bit of a credit card debt, but I don't want to do this whole razzle dazzle thing. I see people doing on YouTube. The hard truth is. You can't. The hard truth is that that is something, sure, in, in a later period in your life, we're going to get there. But right now, the most dire situation, this kind of dire situation, is we have to tackle the credit card debt. And so, my advice is we need to drop a plan on how exactly you want to tackle your credit card debt, right? And there's a couple methods, whether it's the snowball approach or the avalanche approach. And kind of the difference is in, in one approach, you want to take a look at your highest debt burden across multiple cards and start paying that off. Whereas the other approach, you're taking a look at what's the highest interest rate across various cards and you tackle the high interest rate debt but whatever kind of approach you take the most important thing at this level is let's get the credit card debt in check before we even start thinking about travel hacking and reward travel because kind of my my teaching for a lot of people is especially if you know as we're alluding to the credit ladder if we're starting at the very very beginning stages we're back to crawling go back to crawling and want to start focusing on building good habits so that when we get to cards that have annual fees and these transfer partners and a billion things going on you're not overwhelmed and you know what you're doing because i think oftentimes people fall into a pit trap of hey, i've got a little bit of credit card debt but everyone on youtube or on TikTok is saying i should be doing this that and the other thing and i want to try to open these cards and that's just too much to me that there's that, just way too much going on we got to get our core finances in check because points and all that stuff like that's there don't rush that that'll eventually happen but right now is let's get back to basics manage down the debt kind of start what i would say i guess at at the base level of this credit card ladder and and climb yourself up right get comfortable and then we'll be able to level up from there
1: so once somebody has zero debt but they're like okay mistakes were made in the past i don't have any debt to pay off all of that is done and i think i'm ready to start going back into the world of credit cards What would be some good beginner cards for somebody who is just getting started and has like not the best credit score?
0: At this level, so this is what we call the, the base level of the credit card ladder. You would be looking at essentially be it secured cards, most likely, or student cards. And the reason we look at these is because for the most part, a secured card really doesn't have a credit score requirement at all. Because with the secured credit card, all you're doing is you're giving the bank a certain amount of money, whether it's $100, $200. And then they take that money and they hang on to it for you and they give you a credit limit of the one or two or three hundred dollar deposit now the objective at this level is we're back to basics we are learning how exactly does a credit card work we are learning that we must pay credit cards on time and in full. This is very much, this is not a, oh, I only got a $200 credit limit, this sucks. No, 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 this is like great, we got a $200 credit limit. What you're now doing is you're building back your credit score. You're making those payments on time, you're making them in full. Because at some point, right, we want to graduate from a secured to an unsecured card, but that's going to take time. And oftentimes what I say for folks in this level, expect that you're gonna be here for at least a year. If you can graduate faster, Sure. But again, no rush. We want to make sure we've got our fundamentals packed.
1: So once you have spent your year in this purgatory of secured cards, what do you do after that? Once you're like, okay, I am now ready for a real credit card. It's unsecured. They're going to give me a credit limit. I'm going to pay it back. Do you then jump in into the travel credit cards or what do you do next?
0: No, travel credit cards, I would say are are still, you're still a little bit Oh, ways from that, because with travel again, there's just a lot of variables, I would say after this you're typically looking at. The no annual fee cards that are giving you a little bit of cash back that might be greater than 1% but travel is really not on the table yet. And so at this level quick note on the secured cards. so popular secured credit cards come from discover they come from capital one just to give your audience kind of an example there so back to now. The second rung of the ladder, which is the beginner level one. I want you to start focusing on, okay. Now that we're comfortable with knowing how to credit card works, we understand the foundations We want to get a little bit more cash back for our spend. Now you want to start thinking about, okay, every single month, where am I spending the most money, right? Are you spending it on gas? Are you spending it on grocery? Are you spending it on dining out? And from there we can find no annual fee beginner ish level cards where that they help you optimize for that spend. right? Instead of getting 1%, you could get. 2% 2% or 3% or some cases, certain cards can give you 5% cash back for your highest spend category. And what I like about this level is you're starting now to get a taste of, okay, this is what can happen if I'm responsible with my credit cards, right? Now I'm almost quote unquote getting a 5% discount for certain purchases or 3% or a 2%. Example cards, there's a ton of example cards at this level. Cards like Chase Freedom Flex or Freedom Unlimited, cards like a Discover Cashback, cards like a Capital One, Quicksilver. But the most important thing is you're getting a taste. You're getting a little taste of what could happen when you're being efficient and effective with your credit cards. And I'd say, as far as how long someone would be here, probably six to 12 months, all around your comfort, your comfort to manage the cashback, optimize your spend.
1: Should people be cashing out their cash back at this point or just watching their rewards stack up? Because oftentimes we talk on the show about earn and burn and like mm. the points to be value and stuff like that but there might be a case made where if you are earning points on like the chase freedom flex instead of cashing out that five percent on rotating categories to just hang on to it a little bit longer to where you can cash them out as ultimate rewards what would your thoughts be there
0: selfishly from my point of view i wouldn't necessarily cash out cash back i would save them for the next year where we can then transform this cash bag Into valuable points currencies. Granted, I'll throw a caveat out there that not everyone wants to do that. And hey, if you're in a situation where you'd rather just knock $50 or $100 off of your monthly bill, that's no problem. However, for kind of what we want to do, right, which is getting the most value, we want to start flying in in business and first, we want to do all the rouses travel. I would say if you can save the cash back for the next tier where you can unlock a ton ton more value. But I know that's a contested debate, I feel, in the Points of Miles community, whether you're either team cashback or you're going to be team travel. I personally am definitely leaning towards team travel, but I, I get the argument from the cashback side.
1: And these are a lot of the more no annual fee cards, right? Like City Custom Cash, Chase Freedom Flex, all mm-hmm. of those. Would you say that the built card falls into this no fee category for like beginner cards, or it's more of the next tier, which is going to be those transferable points to travel because it can fit in either way.
0: Yeah, the, the built mastercard is interesting because it's a no annual fee card. You earn elevated cash back and you earn points for rent. The only reason for me, I think I would caution around putting it in a beginner category is that there is a lot going on with the build card, with transfer partners and redemptions. And my worry for anyone climbing this ladder is we want to go right. We want to go crawl, walk, and run. And and the build card is moving in my opinion, a little bit in the mid tier category. Now, again, if someone's Hey man, I got the base pack. I understand my beginner cards. I know how to pay on time in full. I know what to do with some of these transfer partners. Jump on the build card as soon as you want. However, if it's someone like thinking about okay, I'm running points for a rent, but I got to take these points and move them s- somewhere. It's totally fine just to wait a little bit when you're at the mid-tier category when every single card is now giving you points you can transfer out. And then it's okay, I understand where it fits in. So I would I would put it in rung 2.5. It's in between the second and the third rung, depending on ultimately the comfort of of the user. But yeah, and for those of you who don't know about the build master card, only card that allows you to earn points on rent, it is a phenomenal card. And I think what, for most people, I think your monthly, monthly spend for housing expenses, I think it's 20 or 30%. So be smart and capture some, some of that spend.
1: So what is tier three, if that was two and a half?
0: Yeah. So tier three is, these are the mid-tier cards. This is now where we're getting a little bit of razzle dazzle. And for me personally, this is actually, this is where I got interested in credit cards. So the card specifically that I was interested in at this level was the Chase Sapphire Preferred. At the time, this was 2015, 16, this was like, the travel card you are gonna earn i think it was like two points for hour spent on travel it was like it was what everyone ended up getting after they graduated college after they've had the So in this category, I would say now squarely, we are now looking at travel cards. These cards are going to start earning you points, currencies that allow you to then transfer, whether to a hotel partner or a flight partner. Typically, you're definitely going to be earning higher percentages. I'm thinking of cards like the American Express Gold, where you can earn 4X on dining, 4X on groceries. A lot of these cards, most of these cards should have no foreign transaction fees as well. And now is where we're going to also introduce an annual fee. So up to now, all the cards you've gotten should have had no annual fee. And at the mid-tier card is where you're going to have an annual fee. And now it's where you have to start thinking. And this is where I tell my audience, you got to figure out, hey, does this annual fee make sense for me? Does it make sense for me to pay $95 a year, but then with the credits only 45, I'm cool with that. Because some people are like, ah, John, I never want to pay an annual fee. I get that. For me though, if we want to play this game, there there is a cost. There is a cost to travel hacking. It's not entirely free, right? There's an opportunity cost and there is going to be an annual fee cost. I would argue squarely in this category, annual fees are totally worth it. You're looking at effectively typically like in that $100 range upwards of 250 kind of for the mid-tier travel cards and the main objective here, optimize your points redemptions. Here is where you want to start figuring out how do you want to travel? Where do you want to travel to? How many people are traveling? And then work your way backwards from from there. I, I'm sure you've got a bunch of cards that you could think of in this category. But for me, kind of the ones that stand out, right? Your Chase Sapphire Preferreds, your American Express Golds. I feel are the two big players. And in this category, we haven't talked about it before, but this is where you can start introducing in hotel and airline specific cards if you really know where you want to go. For me, for example, my first redemption ever was a Cathay Pacific first class flight from Boston to Hong Kong. That was done using Alaska Airlines miles. Getting Alaska Airlines miles was just opening a Bank of America Alaska Airlines card and getting a sign up bonus. And that was, oh, I want to see the annual fee of that card, 90 or $99 or something to, to that effect. But that is a very point specific redemption. I knew I want to get out to Southeast Asia. I thought this was a cool flight, I felt like I could piece it together. And yeah, at this mid-tier category is really we want to optimize or at least think about optimizing for what type of points we're getting and how we want to travel.
1: How does this fit in with 5 over 24? Because some people might be listening to this and being like, well, we're halfway through the ladder already and I've just now gotten a Chase Sapphire Preferred and everybody just keeps being like, 5 over twenty-four, five over 24. Like now you can't get all the Chase cards because you got all of those other cards beforehand. What would you recommend to people who are thinking like, well, shouldn't I just start with the middle tier so that I can get my five out or 24 out of the way?
0: Yeah, that, that's a great question. So I view that as if we're talking 524, then I think of that person as they know a little bit about cards. And if that's the case, I have no problem with you jumping right here and progressing up the ladder. But for kind of what I was thinking about, my intent with the ladder was this is somebody who... Hey, man, I'm fixing credit. I'm interested in this stuff, like what's going on, that there is enough time here, right? If we think about at the base level, you're looking at about 12 months at the beginning, another six to 12 months that they're getting these cards over a long enough of a duration that 524 doesn't impact them. And for those people who don't know what 524 rule is, it's a rule instituted by Chase. I believe it was in 2000 and I want to say 2017 or 2000. 18, where if you have had five credit cards open in the past 24 months, Chase Bank will just automatically deny you for an application. That was very frustrating. When it was launched at the time, it's funny. I think I, I still operate under the trauma of 524, even though nowadays, I don't think I should think about it as much, but I still think about, okay, how many cards have I opened 24 months? All right. Am I thinking about a Chase card soon? But back to your question, if somebody is concerned about 524, that tells me off the bat, hey, you know what's going on with the card space to some extent. Jump in with the mid tier. They uh, don't really have a question on it. I have no problem in terms of you going from the base because there's enough time that you're going to already rotate out those cards and you should be low enough on the 524 ladder once you're at the mid tier.
1: Yeah. If you are starting from ground zero and working your way up, you probably are not opening like a cashback card every three months. Like there's some kind of cognitive dissonance there and something is misaligned if you're like I want to dive into the points game I'm still at 600 and something credit score let's mm-hmm. just get all the cashback cards I have because that's all I can qualify for right now maybe not the best strategy yeah and that's
0: that's the thing too I feel like in the points of mouse space what I've noticed is I feel like I talk at a certain level with certain other folks who are very deep in the game but then when I talk to my friends and family I mean I've been doing this what since 2000 2012, 2013, I've been doing travel redemptions heavily since 2015, 2016, and I still have, you know, my really close core group of high school friends who still ask me, like, how, "How exactly do you do what you do, John?" I I laid out for them like this card, that card, this redemption, and I'm like, "So are you guys going to do it?" and They're like, "No, probably not." And, and so it's remember, okay, like the, the general population, let's say, most folks don't get a couple of cards here and there. They might do a cashback or or a points for dollars type of redemption. and, and that's largely it. And so i think it's yeah being very well attuned as to who the audience is when making a lot of recommendations i think that's that's definitely very important
1: where would you say business cards fall into this is that kind of like in the mid tier as well if someone's like well i heard the way to get a lot of points is chasing business cash chasing business Mm -hmm. unlimited those are cash back cards
0: that's a great question i actually hadn't thought about business cards on this ladder but i would say it's in the ladder kind of a separate ladder depending on you think about it right with business credit cards i actually don't know if you can get a secured business card, but there's plenty of no annual fee business cards and there's plenty of business cards that charge a mid tier annual fee and a kind of a premium tier annual fee. As far as climbing that you could probably do it in tandem, speaking to somebody who is just, Hey, I'm interested in cards. Where do I get going? Now, if you are somebody who's I know 524, I want to do these redemptions. What do I do? Jump on business credit cards. Jump on business credit cards early and often. I got my first business card. It was the Chase. Oh, I think I'm pretty sure it was a Chase Ink card. It was a Chase Ink card, and at the time, it was I had projected revenues of three thousand dollars. I didn't have actual revenues, but I thought I was going to make three thousand dollars a year, and I was approved. I think business credit cards are one of the absolute best facts, if you will, to uh, gain additional points in this space. Because at the end of the day, the name of the game is earning as many points as quickly as possible. Assuming you've got the basics down and down pat, business cards accelerate that. In addition, business cards don't count against 524. So, unlike, except I think I want to say a handful of Capital One cards still report your yeah, business Discover, card on the personal side.
1: Yeah, Discover, TD, and Capital One business cards will report to your personal credit as well. I feel like Capital One's the only one that ever comes up because nobody that I know of is really recommending Discover business cards or. Yeah. PD business cards, I don't know of any, but yeah, if you're wanting to get like the Capital One Venture X for business, that is going to take up a 5 over 24 spot. So business cards go in tandem with this ladder as well. So once somebody is good with the mid-tier cards, which I would say rule of thumb, like the $100 cards, like City Premier, Chase Sapphire, Preferred, Amex Gold is a little bit more expensive than that, but we'll say Amex Gold is somewhere in there. Capital One Venture is a really good mid-tier card, $95, 2X everywhere. Where do mm. you go from there?
0: So now it's funny. I would say there are some people who you can just chill here a little bit in the sense that you're getting some points. You're doing a little bit of transferring, but to kick it up a notch, you would go to what I would call the premium tier here is where your annual fees are They getting big. They're getting into the hundreds of dollars in some senses, over $500, which is a lot of money to pay for a credit card now. We can make an argument why another whether or not it's worth it. I personally think it is worth it, right? Cause you still, you're going to be able to get all your credit offsets and so on and so forth. But there are also folks I get like, why the heck would I pay 500 bucks for a credit card? But anyway, in, in this tier, we're looking at the kind of the premium cards hefty annual fees. You're going to get more perks. So you're going to get things like airport lounge access with, actually, I feel like the majority, if not all of the cards in this category in airport lounge access. I remember going to my first airport lounge. It was the air France lounge in Boston Logan. And. Looking back now, that lounge is like beyond unimpressive. It's like cold cuts, cold cut cheese and like some crackers. But at the time I thought it was the coolest thing ever that I would walk to this special area and get free food and free drinks. But nowadays, oh yeah, no, that is like not that great of a lounge. But regardless though, to get into these lounges, I used to think, okay, you gotta be super rich. You have to fly millions of miles. And then when I got that, I was like, oh no, you just have to open up a credit card. And that was it. And at the time, the card I had was the Sapphire Reserve. It was still the $450 annual fee card. So effectively I was paying $150 a year, which I was totally fine with to get all these lounge benefits. So yeah, so that's, that, so that's the thing with the premium cards. And then you get, you know, your, your standard credits for global entry or TSA PreCheck, which that's probably a feature now that I have, I would even just pay cash for TSA PreCheck, check especially keeping on a belt in the winter time, keeping on shoes, like Breeze right through. And so a lot of these credits that I'm talking about are loaded right onto the card. So these cards are going to offer these credits. But again, of course the trade-off is a bit of a heftier annual fee. The objective really, I would say at this level is you're just opening as many cards as possible. Similar to the mid-tier cards where you're thinking about, Hey, where do I want to go? How do I want to travel? It's the exact same thing here. You're just playing with cards that are going to give you a little bit more kick, a little bit more of a premium experience with the lounges and some of the transfer partners.
1: With all of the different options for cards. And at this point, you're reaching the point where if you have certain cards, you can't get other ones. You have the Chase Sapphire Preferred where you got in the mid-tier, you can't get the Chase Sapphire Reserve in the premium tier. Or nowadays, if you happen to get the Amex Platinum first, you can't get the Gold sign of bonus after that. How do you work through the order to get these cards knowing that certain pitfalls are going to come up in the future? If you make one decision now, it's going to lock you out of that card in the future, whether from sign-up bonuses or like one per family rule or something like that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Now this is where it gets complicated. So I would actually roll it back to, let's go to back to the mid tier and let's look at it from a lens of someone who does want to optimize for travel and spend. For me personally, to your point exactly, worrying about 524, I would look to take taking down Chase cards, taking down the highest Chase sign-up Chase Sapphire bonus first, right? One Sapphire every 48 months is tough. Now, now there are some hacks. We, we won't have to get into it in, in, in this, in this conversation, in terms of maybe you can get some creative ways, getting a couple Sapphires, but regardless though, taking a look, I would say for me personally, it's it's Chase cards because I value Chase currency transfers to Hyatt as a partner. I would say for some folks, they tend to save American express for a little bit later on, largely because of the fact that American express seems to be pretty lax. There's not as many crazy rules around like increase or open cards over a certain period amount of time so that they can go a little bit last but the one thing to keep in mind with american express cards is that like you said earlier with the gold and the platinum thing which honestly just it pisses me off i i don't know so amex has this a whole new rule is if you have had an american express platinum bonus you cannot get an american express gold bonus which makes absolutely no sense because a platinum and a gold they they don't even sound the same like they just yeah anyway So because of that rule that Amex has implemented, I would say you want to be wary of that if you ever want to get a platinum, you should just get a gold first so that you can get a bonus from a gold and then a bonus from platinum. Otherwise, if you do it the other way around, you're not going to get a, be able to get a bonus from a gold by getting a platinum first. So I would go probably, yeah, roll it back to the mid tier, kind of start thinking about, I would probably do chase first, Amex last. And then I would start thinking, I believe. Capital One and Citi can be somewhat increase sensitive. How many hard pulls that are hitting your accounts? And that for me probably would be more of a balance of where am I seeing the highest sign of bonus offer with Citi? Uh, the, the premier usually floats around 60. Sometimes you get 70, nothing I'm jumping for joy at the Capital One Venture X in the premium category. Like you're seeing 75, sometimes 90,000. That's probably the way I would go down is which of those banks are having the highest and then eventually you work your way down to American Express. But again, this is like. Very dependent on what are the offers available and how does someone want to, to travel. But roughly, that is how I think about it. If I were to jump right in at the mid tier.
1: Yeah, you mentioned how somebody wants to travel. And I think that's important as well. I always advise people kind of work backwards because if there's a really good offer on a Hilton card or a really good offer on a Southwest card, but you want to go to, Somewhere in Europe where there's not Hiltons, and obviously Southwest isn't going to fly there. Just because there's a good offer, and just because that's the part of the ladder that you're in right now, doesn't necessarily mean you need to jump on it. Just because something is a good offer doesn't necessarily mean it's a good offer for you. So always try to tie it back to what are you trying to do here? And are these points even helpful for that particular goal?
0: Oh, definitely. Like the Southwest cards, like the Southwest cards, I've talked about a lot. The Southwest companion pass, I've talked about it a lot. I will probably never get. The companion pass from southwest or open a southwest card because i'm based in boston and i've never flown southwest they service boston for sure but i don't do a lot of domestic travel and i'm always going international and if i am flying domestic i'm usually flying JetBlue out of boston so to your point exactly yeah like great value like for most people but for me it's i'll probably never touch that which i'm bummed about the companion pass is, is really really cool
1: so when somebody's at the premium tier already where they're like all right i got A Venture X, maybe like an Amex Platinum. Do a lot of these become redundant? Do you need multiple premium cards? Because I have most of them, but also, as I remind people on the internet often, this is literally my job and I'm not a normal person. So would you say it's redundant for most people to have multiple premium cards? Or how many would be like a reasonable number for somebody who is not a weirdo like me or you?
0: Or me. Yeah, I was going to say I have them as well. It all goes back to, I think, having to think about if you have a card from American express, from chase, from capital one from city and you have points there, like do a lot of those airlines or hotels overlap? And if they do then it might make sense where you're, and you have redemptions going down as you're using your points and transferring out. It might not make sense to hold on to a lot of the ultra premium ones. Right. But for me, I'll walk through my example. I've got a Venture X, I've got a platinum and I've got a Sapphire reserve. The Sapphire Reserve for me is, yes, I could get a Sapphire for and I can still transfer to Hyatt, but what I value about the Sapphire Reserve is now it's the Chase Sapphire Lounge. Well, now it's the Chase Sapphire Lounge, in addition to the fact that there's a 50% bonus for redeeming my ultimate reward points through the Chase Travel Portal by having a Sapphire Reserve. I'll take that any given day. Platinum, for me, largely has to do with the fact that I just like lounge 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 and I like American Express's return protection on the Platinum card. And so again, this is like feeling very, very point specific, but that's just how I see the card. And then the X as a 2X catch all card, it's an easy one when I'm just like, I don't really know what category and just throw that one in there. And again, coming in an effective, put five bucks in my pocket every year. It's, it's a bit of a no brainer. I guess I didn't really answer your question in terms of like how many should people optimally have, because I answered it with saying, telling you that I have all of them, but I think it's hard. I think it really is hard because they have to sit down and think about how I want to use my points. And I know for a lot of people. Like, it's funny. I have friends who have opened Sapphire Reserves, opened them. who are now calling me saying, hey, I'm done with my one year or whatever it is with the card. I want to cancel and move on to the next one, which to me is funny because I'm like, oh, I don't think I, I don't know if I would Like, I think i go and hang on to it. But for a lot of people, paying three, five, seven hundred dollars a year for a credit card for multiple cards is probably not something that sits well with them. And so if I say you are going to do that, make sure you don't lose your points. Make sure you either transfer them out or move them to a cheaper or a no annual fee card so you can still preserve those.
1: Speaking of annual fees that rack up really high, let's talk about the last tier, which like most of us stop at tier four and I'm a tier four. There is a top, top tier, which is like the ultra premium, super expensive cards, what is even there?
0: There's actually really only two cards here. And just for the audience, you could spend forever in tier four and your life is fine. You do not, nobody needs to progress to this next tier, but there is this next tier. It's an exclusive tier. So at this tier, you've got really two credit cards and I would say the objective at this tier, you're just flexing. Either you're flexing, you spend a lot of money or you have a lot of money. So the two cards that you're going to have in here are going to be the black card from American Express and the JP Morgan Reserve from Chase. Black card, for the most part, if it's a personal black card from American Express, you just have to spend a lot of money in categories that American Express deems worthy, and then they'll invite you to apply. That's it. Like You just spend, spend, spend. And they're like, hey, you spend money on categories we like. would you like to apply? I don't know the specifics of it, but it is relatively expensive i think there's an initiation fee and i think the annual fee is like two thousand twenty five hundred i don't know but it's something like really really high
1: for that amount of money i could get so many different sign-up bonuses or just buy my way to hyatt status with the world of hyatt business credit card or buy my way to american airlines status by just having Mm -hmm. a American airlines card if i had that much money that i'm spending on cards I would just buy status with the programs that I need status with or get a free, a few sign up bonuses. Or just if I'm a business owner and I'm like spending that much, I would just say if I'm spending it on ads, that makes business gold to get four points yep. per dollar on that. Or if I'm spending it on a completely miscellaneous category, I'll just throw it on a 2X card and focus on real money before fake money. Because I always like to remind people, focus on real money before fake money. Don't go for some crazy Centurion black card or something just to flex. If the alternative is, oh, you could use your brain cells to pay attention to your business and grow your actual business and oh, your yeah. livelihood, all of that stuff. Yeah,
0: It's so funny too. It's like within the black card, you can get an Amex personal and an Amex business black card, the personal black card. I'm like, okay, you know, make whatever argument you will. That person's spending a lot of money, the business black card. I'm kind of like, eh. like, I feel like that, that one's less impressive because businesses, especially of a business where, Hey, let's say you're holding inventory, spending Two, three, 500,000 a year might honestly be a drop in the bucket. And so it's funny if I ever see people flexing with an Amex business card, I'm like, man, eh, sure, like your business is doing well, but at the end of the day, it's like, that's business spend very different, right? Especially if whatever type of business you in, if your margins aren't great, you're just spending, but then you're burning on the back end. So yeah, to that point, and then, oh, sorry. And to quickly cover the JP Morgan reserve, that card's an interesting one. This one is not about spending. This is having $10 million net invested. With a JP Morgan wealth advisor. But why I think that makes no sense is on that 10 million, I think they charge like a oh, I think it's like a one or a 1.25% asset under management fee, which no. is just a ridiculous amount of money.
1: Don't do yeah. that. Anybody who's missing yeah. this, stay away from those. Find somebody who charges like based on project fee or like time fee. Like I would much rather pay somebody. $500 per hour to look at mm-hmm. my asset allocation and all that, than 1% of my asset allocation, because the amount that they're getting paid is not correlated to the amount of work that they're doing for you. If it's, okay, well, I'm gonna look at this spreadsheet where you have $1 million versus $10 million versus $100 million, like it's not correlated at all. So no. that sounds like a nightmare. No, it's an absolute
0: nightmare. And the funny thing too, about both of these cards, they're not that much better than their premium tier cousins, right? So the JP Morgan Reserve, and the Chase Sapphire Reserve are the same card. The difference is JP Morgan Reserve gives you a club club pass access. And then the American Express Centurion card, from an earnings perspective, I'm pretty sure is the same as the Platinum. It probably gives you access to additional things, but it's nothing that's that much more worth it. So that's why I say at this tier, it's exclusive. You're here really just flexing. If you have it, cool. You either spend a lot or you have a lot, but I don't necessarily know if this is something we should all strive to want to get at.
1: I do not strive for no. this. I'm not striving for it what are you striving for for like your points goals and like your credit card goals and everything is there something that you're working towards or are you just i'm just coasting we're good from here on out
0: yeah at this point the biggest focus really is just still as many points as quickly as possible i fully subscribe to the fact of earn and burn points are devalued every day right same as inflation if you have a dollar you hold it in your hand In a year in a year's time that dollar is going to be worth less Points are the same thing. I I think earlier on, I used to hoard more points thinking, oh, I'm going to save up for this, save up for this. But all we see in the points amounts community is constantly every single year, the airlines, hotels, I just come out and say, we think your points should be worth less. So they are, and no amount of backlash changes it. And for me, it's just, just earn and burn. I'd say probably in terms of next cards I'm looking at, probably another round of chase inks, probably another round of chase inks. I just, I'm eyeing probably another bank of America, Alaska airlines card going to be in the works not not this year next year most likely and it just for me at this point opening cards i think is very much like every couple of months like i need a point i need some points here i need some points there open it i don't think too 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 much about it though i'm still very cognizant of my 524 status <laughs>
1: Awesome. If you had to wrap up all of your points and miles knowledge into one quote that we can fit on an Instagram quote card, what would you say is your number one piece of advice for people looking to level up in the game?
0: I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? The game is ever changing. There is no constant. And so when it comes to points and miles, you just have to earn and burn. You get them, use the points. Enjoy.
1: And speaking of great advice, can you give a shout out to somebody else on the internet who you would recommend other people check out for even more points and miles tips?
0: Oh yeah, my buddy Max. Max miles and points. He is crushing it in terms of making points, redemptions, award finding, just just vis- very visually appealing and easy to digest. So if you're a beginner, go check out his page. He's on Instagram. He's on YouTube. Max, is a great guy. Phenomenal, phenomenal channel.
1: He's everywhere. He's on TikTok as well. He's got yeah. an amazing newsletter. You can find Max pretty much everywhere. And where can we find you on the internet?
0: You can find me on any social media handle. Just type in at John's Finance Tips uh, and I should be able to pop up.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, John, for sharing all of your knowledge with us today and talking through the credit card ladder and what people should look into depending on where they are with their credit card and their credit score journey. So thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me, Julia.